1: Hello, and welcome to the Locals Germany in Focus podcast, where we break down the news and talking points from across the country. This week, we're going to chat about why Germany and Chancellor Olaf Scholz have been coming under international pressure over providing tanks for Ukraine. The property tax deadline is coming up. We'll fill you in on what that means and how it can affect you, even if you don't own your own place. We'll dig into the backlog of German citizenship applications, where it's worst, and what can be done to get paperwork moving. And pensions may not be the sexiest subject, but they're very important. We are going to talk about why Germany is panicking about the pension system and even asking people not to retire early. Stick around until the end where we talk about how to make friends and how not to make friends in Germany when you've moved from abroad. I'm Rachel Oxen, and I'm here in Berlin today with journalists Aaron Burnett and Imogen Goodman. And later, we'll hear from Nick Houghton in Augsburg. Hello. Welcome, both of you. Hello. Hello. How are you this week?
2: Good. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a nice week. Uh, I've had some friends over from England who I saw over the weekend, which was lovely. Nice. Um, other than that, it's been quite relaxed, hibernating. It's, a
0: it's my friend's birthday this week, so happy birthday, Neil.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I have to tell you that today, which is Wednesday, 25th of January, when we're recording this podcast, it is Burns Night, which is a Scottish thing. And it's a celebration of the poet Robert Burns. And this is when you're meant to have haggis, neeps and tatties which is haggis, turnips, and potatoes. Mm. So I'm going to be doing that this weekend.
0: So my mum's side is German and my dad's side is Scottish, and uh, dad went in all in on Burns Night. He <laughs> Much did? the same Yeah, he did.
2: Amazing. Um,
0: I never donned the kilt myself, but let's just say that Berlin's parks and beaches have seen their fair share of my red and green brunette tartan picnic blanket.
1: Oh, lovely. Yeah, representing well, in my own way. You could get a kilt made out of that.
0: <laughs> yeah for like 400 bucks <laughs> I no, the, uh, the picnic blanket <laughs> <laughs> big polyester kilt <killed. laughs>
1: And it was also Lunar New Year on Sunday. So I imagine there are some really nice celebrations across Germany. I know a couple of my friends were having food on Saturdays
2: to celebrate. Yes, it's the year of the rabbit now, um, which is my sister's birth year. I'm a dragon. So it's my year last year. But um, yeah, happy year of the rabbit, everybody. I think it was the year of the tiger last year, no? Was it?
1: It was. <laughs> I've got it so wrong. I
0: was, when
2: was the dra- every year's was dragon? Every year, dragon year for me. Yeah.
0: No, I'm, I'm from the year of the tiger, but... But the year of the tiger uh, is said to be a period of action Mm And the year of the rabbit. So that's where we just were (laughs) and where we're going. uh, And the new lunar new year is uh, to the year of the rabbit, which is a period of self-reflection. Although somehow I think we will see plenty of both action and (laughs) self-reflection in Germany this year.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Okay, we are once again talking about German militariness and the government. Last week, we mentioned the new defence minister for Germany, that's Boris Pistorius. And it's been a pretty eventful first week on the job for him and for Chancellor Olaf Schultz. There has been lots and lots of pressure being piled on to support Ukraine in the sense of allowing German-made tanks to be sent to Ukraine in their fight against Russia. Adam, what has been going on?
0: So Germany has already sent a lot of weapons to Ukraine, whether that's air defense systems, uh, machine guns, heavy artillery. It's sent Gephardt and Martyr tanks. And it's even done what we call a ringtausch or a ring exchange. So basically, eastern countries like Slovenia send the old Soviet-era tanks that they have to Ukraine, and then Germany replaces them with modern ones. But what Ukraine has been asking for are German-made leopard tanks. And and these really are some of the best firepower that you can get. Uh, it's definitely a step up from what's been sent already. And up until this week, Olaf Schultz has been reluctant to either send these or even to allow other countries who bought these leopard tanks from Germany like Poland for example to then re-export them to Ukraine and Poland has indeed asked Germany for permission to do exactly this.
1: So on Wednesday there was an announcement that they are going to allow it, right?
0: Yeah, so Olaf Scholz and US President Joe Biden made that uh, announcement together. Uh, Scholz has said a number of times kind of align Um, Don't go it alone. Uh, What he really means is not without the U.S. Uh, The U.K. recently announced it was sending its modern Challenger tanks. Uh, That wasn't enough for Olaf Scholz. He wanted American Abrams tanks, and these are really heavy-duty stuff, to go there before he would agree to send leopards. And again, as we are now seeing this week, the White House and uh, the Chancellor came to that agreement. Hence the announcement, they'll both, the U.S. and Germany, send their modern tanks, and Ukraine is about to get a lot of combined firepower.
1: Okay, and when we look at the, the tanks in Poland, why does Germany need to be involved in this decision if Poland has the tanks?
2: Well, firstly, the thing to know um, about these Leopard tanks, as Aaron mentioned, is that they are made in Germany, they're, they're manufactured here. And ironically enough, given what a state the army or Bundeswehr is in right now, Germany is actually a big producer of arms. So because these tanks are produced here, other countries that purchase them need Germany's agreement if they want to send them on to other non-NATO countries like Ukraine. Mm -hmm. This rule was basically to stop German-made arms being used in conflicts around the world that Germany doesn't want to be involved in. But more recently, we've seen that it's become a kind of mechanism to put pressure on Germany. So that's exactly what Poland was doing. This might also have, have sped up the process of, of Germany kind of agreeing to do this along with the USA. It's one thing for them not to send their own initially, but to then stand in the way of other countries doing it, that's another thing.
1: mm mm-hmm. And they are allowing that now? Yes. And why do you think that Germany has hesitated so much?
0: Well, there's a lot of speculation on that. And if you're confused, it's okay. Don't (laughs) worry. (laughs) Foreign policy experts and political journalists in Germany are also confused. So here goes a little bit of an explanation if we can. The Schultz Chancellery is said to be quite scared that Germany will be drawn into the war if it provides too much support to Ukraine. As I said before, these tanks really are a step up in terms of modern firepower on top of what's been sent already, and that Russia will see these tanks as an escalation. Some experts have suggested that Schultz wanted explicit American cover, hence the US tanks going along there as well, even though under NATO, Russia can't attack Germany without drawing the US in. Anyway, um, some experts say Schultz is scared of Russian retaliation, possibly through things like cyber attacks, although these things also happen anyway. Others have suggested uh, he has his eye on restarting uh, relations with Russia after the war, but that also depends very much on the outcome of the war itself.
1: Yeah. And and how is this reflecting on Schultz as a chancellor? Is his leadership being called into question?
0: Not well. It uh, doesn't reflect well. Uh, the reason for Germany's hesitation really does lie with the Scholz chancellery. It's not just German allies that have been pressuring Schultz. Uh His own coalition partners, uh, the Greens and the Liberal Free Democrats, have done a fair bit of political maneuvering in Berlin in recent weeks. They've even been coordinating statements between the two of them in some cases uh, to put pressure on uh, their third coalition partner, who is uh, headed by Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Social one, Democrats. Yeah, the Social Democrats, exactly. Mm-hmm. And one poll recently found that just 25% of Germans think that Schultz is a strong leader.
2: Uh, yeah. There's actually a slogan that was used back in the election campaign, uh, back in 2021. And it's been coming back to haunt Schultz quite a bit lately. Uh, so it was, Wer Führung bestellt, der sie auch, which can roughly be translated as, if you want leadership, you'll get it. So at mm-hmm. the time, he was positioning himself a little bit as another Merkel, calm and cautious, but still ready to take those big decisions when they were needed. Instead, he's now built up a reputation, both at home and internationally, for being a bit of a uh, ditherer, to put it mildly. So you've even got new words uh, springing up now, like schultzing, uh, which is a verb, uh, which means to keep stalling, procrastinating, making endless excuses for not doing something. And there's also Berlinology, the science of trying to understand the inscrutable reasoning of Germany's (laughs) central government.
0: Yes. I have a friend who came up with that one.
2: (laughs) Let's consider for a moment. Obviously, action is needed in this
1: situation, right? But is there an argument to be made for being cautious and really considering all the outcomes? And this is something typically Germany does a lot. They're not the country that is rushing into things, right?
2: That's definitely true. And I'd also say that thinking about where Germany started out, you know, the foreign policy uh, kind of conventions they had, their post war convention of non sending weapons to kind of live war zones. From that starting point, uh, they've had to come quite a bit further than other allies who are also supporting Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So from that perspective, you can kind of see... While this may look very, very slow from the outside, they have had to come quite far. And I I would say it's the same with the energy policy overhaul that they've had to do. So in that sense, you know, you could say there's reasons to be cautious, there's reasons to think twice. That said, uh, we are in a crisis situation, so quick decisions are called for at a time like this, especially when human lives are at stake.
0: Well, and that is a good point in in terms of saying that what looks like a small step from the outside is actually within German society, actually a very big step. And we have had a a big step, at least in in internal German politics. But when we consider the fact that just about everybody has made that leap already, and the Schultz chancellery is literally the last one that hasn't, we get into a bit of a, a different discussion about slowness and cautiousness then.
1: Good points. And Aaron, you were looking into some quite interesting polls this week about the German population's attitude to providing weapons for Ukraine. Can you explain a bit more about this?
0: Yeah, sure. And that's actually part of why I just said what I just said, that German society is a bit ahead of of Olaf Scholz. One poll out this month finds a slightly more German's want uh, leopard tanks to go to Ukraine than not. It is still fairly split, but 46% want them to get sent and 43% do not. That's a clear split. It still shows that German society has a pacifist streak when it comes to military matters, but I would argue that Germany is not generally a pacifist country the same way anymore. When you consider that in January of last year, 73% of Germans were against sending any weapons to Ukraine of any kind at all, that's a thats a big jump in, in a year. Since the invasion, most polls show that most Germans are in favor of arming Ukraine than not. We've seen quite the change in German society on this. And then when we get to questions outside of weapons, like, are you willing to pay more at the grocery store to support Ukraine? We see even bigger majorities in, in favor.
1: Thank you both. And this is a developing story. So we will provide any updates in the show notes. We'd like to say a big thank you to all our listeners and especially those who are also paying members at the local Germany. If you're not a member yet, and we'd like to support our work and journalism and read great stories, then head to the local.de slash podcast offer. Anyone who owns a property in Germany has to submit a property tax declaration to authorities by January 31st. And this is already an extended deadline because the first was at the end of October. And it's part of a massive reform of Grundsteuer or property tax. That's due to come into force in 2025. Adam, why is this happening?
0: <laughs> well, property tax in Germany is currently based on very old evaluations of of what property is worth. So, in Western Germany, those values haven't been updated since the mid 1960s. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And it's even uh, it's even longer if you consider the former East uh, of the country. We're talking about the mid 1930s there.
1: Okay. And and property tax, do you you pay it you get an amount yearly that you have to pay in installments or quarterly
0: quite often. Okay. You get okay. you get an amount that you have to pay. Um and based on these valuations. And Germany is updating these valuations with numbers that take into account what the property is worth as of January 1st, 2022, so the beginning of last year.
1: So does this mean that the tax is going up? Are people going to have to pay more?
0: Well, that can depend. For many people, the answer is quite possibly yes. If we think about my neighbourhood, Berlin-Kreuzberg, for example, that's a neighbourhood that was surrounded by the Berlin Wall on all three sides in the mid-1960s, when these valuations were last done in Mm -hmm. in the west part of the country. Today, that's an in-demand location. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that tax go up, but it likely depends on where you live, if it goes up, and by how much.
1: Okay, and and you've done this process yourself, Aaron. Is it easy That oh, silly question.
0: No, it's it's frankly a horrible, a very confusing, somewhat soul destroying exercise. If I'm honest, it's awful oh, to no. do. Yeah. <laughs> Why? It took me a full Sunday afternoon, even with my neighbor's help, who had already done hers. There's very few explanations as to what certain things mean. You might think, oh, are they asking me for my square footage? But they're not actually. They're asking for something else, and that's Mm. not clear. And there's no real handbook or explanation out from the authorities about how to do any of this, if I'm honest.
1: Do you have any advice?
0: Uh, My best advice is it's a little bit late, but don't leave it to the last minute. It kind of is last minute now, but don't leave it to the very last day (laughs) to do this. Don't leave it to the 31st. Uh, to do this, it is probably too late for you to get a tax consultant to help you. But if you know someone who has done it, uh, like I did in the case of my neighbor, Mm -hmm. uh, try and see if you can get their help. Um, There's also a fair few good YouTube videos, actually, that you can watch that walk you through the process. These were a lifesaver when I did mine, as frustrating as it was. Uh, And remember that you need your Gunbuch Auszug, that's your statement from the Land Registry, So if you haven't been to your Gunnbuchamt to get that, get in there, do it now. Remember that you can still listen to this podcast in your earphones while you walk there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And
2: Imogen, it's not just people who own their homes that could be affected by this, right? No, that's right. Um, It's actually quite possible that uh, tenants could feel the effects of this, especially, as Aaron said, in urban areas where rents have been exploding lately. Uh, So that's one of the factors that can actually be used to to redo the property valuation. So unfortunately, if property tax ends up being hiked up in these areas, landlords could definitely decide to pass the increased costs onto tenants. This does feel a little bit unfair because obviously high rents would feed into the property valuation, and then rents will get higher because of that. So tenants are kind of being punished twice for their landlord's decisions. Um, (laughs) That said, uh, property tax on flats, it can vary a lot. But, you know, occasionally it's only a a couple of hundred euros per year, sometimes as much as a thousand. But even if it does go up by something like 20%, you might just be looking at an extra 10 or 20 euros a month.
1: Thank you both. Really good updates there. Let's have a quick chat now about applying for German citizenship. It is, of course, one of our favourite topics at the local because a reform of the laws are underway, which will make it easier for people to apply in future. But an investigation by Welt am Sonntag newspaper found that more than 100,000 foreigners are currently waiting for their naturalisation applications to be processed at the moment. Imogen, why are there such backlogs at the immigration offices?
2: Well, there are quite a few reasons for this. It's, it's kind of a perfect storm at the moment, actually. Um, one is simply the fact that we've seen applications for citizenship shoot up in recent years. That is likely to do with the fact that a lot of the Syrian refugees who fled to Germany back in sort of 2015, 2016, they'll be eligible for citizenship now. Um, mm-hmm. Refugees can actually get that after just six years and they're entitled to keep their old passport. So you can see where many people who've, who've lived here and made then a new life here would want to shore up their rights.
1: So more people simply applying?
2: A lot more people, absolutely. So on the one hand, the immigration offices or the citizenship offices are overloaded. On the other hand, you've also got woefully low staff in these places. And so much of the process as well, in fact, pretty much all of it, is done in a very analogue, paper-based, time-consuming way. We've basically anecdotally heard of people People's applications being mislaid in a random office cabinet somewhere. So, Wonderful. Just a stack of paper just ending up in a drawer and, and not being found until a lawyer has to get involved and literally say, dig out my client's application. Welcome um, to
0: German bureaucracy again. <laughs>
2: Welcome to Germany, Berlin in, in particular. <laughs> yeah, and, and where is it worst? Well, as you might expect, the major cities are struggling to deal with this the most. Um, In Berlin, for example, which I think is the worst culprit, uh, you've currently got around 26,000 applications being processed right now. And there are 18,000 in Hamburg and 10,000 in Munich. Some people are waiting as long as three years to get their passport. Um, Three years? Three years, exactly. I mean, 18 months is pretty standard right now. So that, that's what many people can expect, sadly, when they apply. Uh, so Velt also found out that 5,000 people are currently waiting for an initial appointment in Dortmund. And backlogs in other cities are also said to be into the thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, from my own experience, um, I actually got in touch with the citizenship office in Berlin-Mitte as soon as I was eligible to apply, which was back in October, they got back to me pretty quickly. Uh, they asked me some follow-up questions, and then they offered me uh, the first ten-minute phone appointment they could they could offer me, which uh, happens to be on June the first this year. Um, wow,
1: so like what, seven months. It's yes,
2: yeah. That's a seven-month just for wait for a
1: telephone appointment.
2: Literally just for a chat, and I, I think it's a ten-minute chat. They send you the forms afterwards, so even just to get that initial conversation. It's been a good seven months for me. So I can see how 18 months wouldn't end up seeming like that long, actually.
0: I had two friends who got citizenship recently. And one of them told her boyfriend that she wasn't moving in with him in berlin until she got her citizenship in brandenburg because she didn't want to restart the process in berlin which <laughs> would take a lot longer and then uh, another friend found out that there was one person in his entire district that was handling all of the applications from british nationals
2: gosh <laughs> oh
1: that this makes sense then that uh, it's so long Aaron, is anyone thinking about how to improve the situation, especially with the plan changes coming up? Because that's going to see potentially a lot more people applying
0: I'm afraid the short answer is not really <laughs> I no. mean we do we do uh, know a lot of people I uh, hear at the local a lot of long-term residents some people who have been here for years or even decades in some cases who've just been waiting for dual citizenship to be allowed and as soon as it is they are sending that application in we're expecting the floodgates to open but whenever we ask this question of members of the Bundestag or indeed the interior ministry we don't get much of a response which which doesn't uh, give us a good feeling of what's to come. We have heard from one parliamentarian that we've spoken with that it will mostly be left up to the federal states, who will probably have to digitize more and get more people. Uh, Berlin, for example, is going to get a centralized authority with 200 dedicated staff rather than having local districts uh, process citizenship applications. But one thing, on the other hand, which I'm also curious to see, as Imogen says, citizenship law has become very complicated in recent years. There's a lot of, for example, applications to retain your um, old citizenship that go in. About two-thirds of people who got German citizenship in 2021 kept their old passport. There's extra bureaucracy for that. But once that law changes and it's allowed anyway and you don't need to file this paperwork, perhaps it will get easier to process an individual application.
2: Yeah, I, I do think a major part of this reform is about kind of simplifying, streamlining the law a little bit. So we'll see how that works out. Um, I spoke to an FDP politician uh, working on the immigration reforms uh, last year, actually. And she mentioned that a lot of this, as Aaron says, is down to the communes. So really local level. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked her if uh, digitalization would maybe, you know, because that's another big project of the government, whether that would be something that they would try and do to coincide with the law change. She said, no, tech projects take way too long. So we're still going to be working with a pen and paper by the time this happens. And with an estimated sort of 100% uptick in the amount of applications they're going to get. Oh, gosh, it's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I don't know why, but that's just so funny. Just the, the thought of a, you know, digitalization in Germany is quite funny. It really is. I mean, it'll be great when it happens in 30 years' time. When it happens.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: Great. Thank you so much to both of you for those updates. Many of our listeners will be aware that there is a worker shortage in Germany and the government is trying to change the laws to encourage more immigration from abroad. Well, that shortage is having a knock-on effect on the pension fund because not enough people are paying into that pension pot. Aaron, why is this year being viewed as a very critical year for pensions and the retirement system?
0: So... This is the first year where we're likely to see more people leaving the workforce or retiring than entering it. So people coming of age and getting their first jobs. Germany's aging population means that by 2030, we could be seeing one and a half workers for every pensioner. Now, just to put that into perspective a bit, uh, in the 1960s, we had six workers for every pensioner. And in 1992, around the time of reunification, there was more or almost three workers for every pensioner. So that means less working people to pay for the pension system and more and more people are taking out of it.
1: Okay. And what is the government going to do about this? Do they want to stop people
2: retiring earlier? So they're not planning at the moment on formally raising the retirement age But they do want to encourage people to work longer and especially not retire early, uh, which quite a few people are actually doing at the moment in Germany, which is adding to this problem that Aaron's just spoken about. Mm -hmm. Um, So there is currently a system where people who have paid into the system for long enough can choose to retire a couple of years early. And in return, they kind of lose a small percentage of their pension. Uh, It also works the opposite way around. So you may choose to work until you're 70 instead of retiring in your mid-60s, and then you get a little bit extra uh, to retire on. Unfortunately, this doesn't seem to be having the desired effect, possibly because people have a private pension or company pension that they can kind of fall back on if they retire early, or just the fact that the time is more important to them than the money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one idea that's been floated is to scrap the pension age entirely and simply link the money you get to when you choose to retire. Um, Apparently, Sweden has done this and had quite a bit of success with it, with people actually choosing to work longer. But ultimately, I think in Germany, the main plan is to try and offset the boomer retirement wave with more young workers from abroad. Okay,
1: this question probably requires at least three hours imaging, but when can people get their pension in Germany? (laughs)
2: Yep, you're absolutely right. Uh, this is Germany. So nothing is simple. There are actually multiple different amounts of time that you need to pay in. And it all depends on your work situation, your life situation, what type of pension you want. So pretty complicated kind of system. But I will take you through the, the three numbers that you need to know, um, or most people need to know at least. So five years is the absolute minimum that you need to work and pay into the pot if you want to claim a German pension. 35 years, Um, is the minimum if you want to retire a bit early and still claim a state pension. And it's also the minimum to pay in to be eligible for what's known as the Grundrente, which is kind of a top-up system for pensions for people who may have been on minimum wage throughout their working life. Mm -hmm. Then there's 45 years, and that also allows you to retire early and you can get a special type of pension for people who have made very long-term pension contributions. What's important to know is that these payments don't necessarily mean years you were working. So uh, the government also counts periods spent maybe raising children or doing training. Certain other life situations are included in that. So don't worry if you have taken time out.
1: Good. Great sum up there. And our sister site, the local France, has been reporting on pension reforms that are happening. There was a big strike last week on the plans to raise the pension age there. How does Germany's retirement age compare to other European countries, Aaron, and what is it?
0: Well, right now, the pension age is 65 for most people retiring now. That's set to be raised over time. Uh, And that's fairly mid-range in Europe. Some countries already have higher ones, uh, like Italy's is at 67. Portugal and the Netherlands start at 66. Uh, France is on the low end at 62. Uh, Those retirement ages, even when they are raised, though, aren't keeping up with life expectancy. Pensioners are taking out of the pension system for longer than they used to. German life expectancy was 69 years in 1960. In 2020, it was 81 So people have a much longer retirement than they used to, and that puts pressure on uh, the pension system. Actually, in decades gone by, it used to be that people more or less worked almost until they died. Mm -hmm. That's not, not that much the case anymore.
1: Really interesting. And we'll put in some explainers on this topic in the show notes. Even when we're
3: on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
1: Let's move on to a lighter subject now. We're going to talk about making friends in Germany when you've moved to the country from abroad. So I was talking to someone the other day who has recently moved to Berlin from Toronto and she said she was finding it kind of difficult to meet new people because like with work and the weather and generally adjusting to life in a new place, with a new culture, and with a language that you maybe don't understand, yeah, it can be really tough. So let's hear what Nick Houghton, a writer, and co-host of the Decades From Home podcast in Augsburg has to say about this topic. I started off by asking Nick who is originally from England when and why he moved to Germany.
3: I arrived way back in 2011 and I came over because I had a relationship with then girlfriend now wife and we met at university and yeah it was an opportunity to do something a bit different so sort of seek out a bit of an adventure I think.
1: Nice and where did you first move to next?
3: A place called Altdorf by Nuremberg, which is down in Bavaria and as the name suggests it's quite close to Nuremberg. (laughs) so yeah yeah it was a nice little village.
1: Great you're in Augsburg now right?
3: Yeah yeah I live in Augsburg now I've been here for about five years I think something like that.
1: Great and how have you found making friends since you've arrived?
3: Well for the first couple of years, I didn't really think about it. It sort of focused on settling in and, and getting used to the rhythm of a different country and all the sort of excitement that that brings. Then I started to focus on friendship groups and things like that. And it's not always been easy. I think there is different dynamics in play when you're making friends with, with German people. And there's a lot of preconceptions you have, but also misconceptions that make building relationships with Germans quite quite tricky, I think, or building relationships in general quite tricky. The thing that I found mostly is, well, making friends as an adult is tricky, full stop, but there's yeah. the, this, this little things like small talk, right? Small talk's really important to building relationships in, in Britain. And, it, and then you just take it as read that that is a process that everyone engages in. And it's not the same. Like you form relationships by having stupid conversations about the weather or football or whatever. And there's like a back and forth and you sort of develop a dynamic and then maybe you meet somebody again later and, and, and you sort of, that's how it happens. In Germany, it doesn't quite work like that. You can have maybe a small talk conversation, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to lead to an invitation to do something later. It helps if you've got friends who in common i think
1: mm-hmm. but
3: a lot of the time like one of the things i was thinking about was when dropping a hint you know someone goes oh we're going to football tomorrow or we're going to cinema next week and you're, oh that's really interesting i'd be really interested in that and that kind of subtle hint in britain probably would be quite clear in germany it's really not so people don't always or equally building relationships in germany just takes longer so we rush to build relationships, we rush to friendship in Britain and to some extent in America. And it's a real slow burn in Germany. You've got to work on it. You've got to be sincere. Yeah. You you can't just be superficial about your relationships.
1: And do you think that it, it's a good idea maybe to if you do want to take part in something, just be direct. Like I would really like to go to that football match or
3: Oh, I think you've got to judge it in the moment. It depends what kind of person you are. I think the mistake I, I made, and, and I probably should have done this earlier on, is just bite the bullet and accept, okay, my German's not great. I'm going to join a club. And there's so many forums and clubs for loads of different activities. And just mm-hmm. sort of get, get yourself out there. I think it's probably more difficult if you're an introvert than anything else. Because you, you have to put yourself on the line, really. You really do. You have to sort of be a, willing to make language mistakes, willing to be awkward willing to be a little bit humiliated sometimes when you do something dumb or something that's (laughs) obvious to everyone else and isn't obvious to you and that's part of that experience and i don't think people necessarily want to hear that but i do feel like that's the truth
1: sure and and do you feel integrated in german life nick
3: Depends on what day you ask me. Today, fairly integrated. Took my daughter to the uh, Tagesmutter. Uh, went to the bakery, spoke some German, had a bit of a chat with a neighbor. That's fine. And then other days when I'm um, maybe only listening to English language podcasts, watching English language television, watching football in English maybe, then not so much. But I think it fluctuates. I, I don't think that integration is, is sort of binary. is like on and off. Like you are, you're not. I think you you transition all the time. So yeah, today pretty much I've spoken some German. I've listened to the Deutschland Radio Funk in the morning. I had nice uh, had some had some muesli. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> <It's like laughs> barely integrated. Yeah,
1: and and what kind of things would you recommend for someone to feel more part of German society of social life in Germany?
3: I would say don't put boundaries around what is okay and what isn't okay that was what i did initially was like i've got to make friends with only germans and i can't speak english with anyone and i can't go and enjoy things that i've actually enjoyed like watching football on a saturday because then i'll just only interact with with english people i think you've got to find a a base and then expand it i would definitely be open to the idea of like making mistakes and, and kind of feeling a bit foolish sometimes I'd join a club or something similar I'd find some kind of activity if you play tennis join a tennis club if you play DD, go and play d d you know like do what it is that you enjoy uh, and don't kind of prevent yourself by creating sort of prefabricated or sort of made up boundaries uh, mm-hmm. that's definitely really really important
1: really good it's so lovely to have you on again Thank
3: you so much. Yeah, enjoy it. every time we get a chat. Rachel is fantastic. Thank you.
1: Awesome. I'm eager to hear what you both think,
2: Imogen. How have you made friends here? Well, I actually had a slightly easier time of it because I uh, came here originally to do a master's, and I met loads of fellow students through the course. There's that kind of student atmosphere where everyone kind of wants to make friends, and a lot of people doing the course were also internationals. so um, we're all in the same boat, really. And I've found that it's kind of gone from there. And every time I go out in Berlin, I find people are generally quite friendly. So going. Out out to comedy nights, open mic nights, any event, you tend to make at least one friend uh, each time, which which has been great. So you, over time, you definitely build up a social circle.
1: That's a really good point. I, I definitely think that courses are a great way to meet people. Definitely. So, yeah. So obviously, like university is, uh, is a big one, but also just like German courses. I certainly met a couple of my good friends here by doing a teaching English as a foreign language course. And I think, you know, when you go through something together, whatever the course is, you have something in common and you meet people from all over the world.
0: Especially German courses where you're all where you all might be in the same boat Um, and indeed at the same level, because you would have to take a class with people who are your level. So you're struggling with the same stuff.
1: For sure. Do you have any tips, Aaron?
0: I use meetup groups or have used them. Um, there's a lot of ones where you can find people who share similar interests. There's uh, ones for things like hiking, there's book clubs, there's board game ones, there's all kinds of different meetup groups. Uh, that's definitely something I've done.
1: Mm-hmm. And Germans do love a Verein, don't they? Like a club.
0: <laughs> yes. So you can yes. find.
1: You can find whatever your interest is; you will find it. You can even
2: find some Germans there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and actually, they do love a club. yes, a good segue there. Do you have any tips on things you can do or not do when you're trying to make friends with Germans?
2: Well, I'd say maybe in a work env- environment. Obviously, every company is different. Maybe a startup might be a kind of more international environment. But yeah, um, one thing to maybe remember is that a lot of Germans really value the division between their work life and their private life Mm -hmm. Um, so don't feel too or don't take it too personally Um, if you ask um, Greta from accounting for a drink after work and she says no I'm having my free evening at home I think you know that that is something that that can be a bit different from somewhere like uh, the UK that said don't let that put you off trying Um, it's always worth kind of reaching out and maybe trying to make the take the first step to change from a sort of Z- (laughs) to a do
0: yeah but I mean take your time and um, it doesn't always happen overnight but I mean just be aware that there are also uh, many Germans that are actually kind of curious about you the, the new international person that they can meet and talk to um, you know they, they also you know it's not that all Germans not want to keep to themselves or anything many um, are very curious about you and do want to, to talk to you um, so do take your time and you know and be prepared for some questions <laughs>
1: That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening. And as always, we'll add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been covering. Thank you to this week's panellists, Aaron Burnett and Imogen Goodman, and to Nick Houghton and our sound engineer, Rhys Edwards. You can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germany in Focus, And please leave a review or a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you liked us. We'll be back again next Friday. Until then, take care.